This episode is called When to Pull the Trigger by Courtney Peros. Sometimes in emergency, we have to pull the trigger. Sometimes we've got to be the first person to do a procedure. Sometimes we've got to throw the textbook out and actually do something rely on our clinical knowledge and clinical training. This week, we're cracking into a case study. Um, and this week, we're actually cracking into a real case that myself and Courtney were present for. You're going to love it. Courtney unpacks for us some awesome emergency medicine stuff um, and really gives us some key learning points as emergency clinicians. Um, I reckon you're going to love it as much as I loved it. Let's crack in. When to pull the trigger. Courtney Peros, take it away. You. I'm looking at the end game. Mm. I'm like, this guy's gonna rest now. Yeah. So it got to the point where it's like, well, something has to be done now. Mm. Um, and there was a conversation between me and the cardiologist. Yes. And I said, one of these 12 months ago, because yep. it's like, who's gonna do it now? Yeah, yeah, that's a question. Um, and I think it, you know, becomes, it's a bit like who pulls the trigger. Yeah. Welcome to the ED Jam. Um, we're going to crack into this case because yes. this is the case where we got flowers and chocolates. Yes. Um, um, and this is where we did, or yourself and the team provided, time critical, um, life saving, definitely interventions. Yes. Um, so it's uh, we're not going to say what day it was, but we're working a evening shift. Yep. Um, and we get a bat phone, uh, an early notification call of a patient. Yeah, so we have a, a lot of the emergency services now have this pre-warning of a STEMI criteria or a major heart attack, mm -hmm. and we got one of these warnings. Yeah. So we, for people that don't work in emergency, you get a, a photo of the ECG mm -hmm. sent to a computer here in the emergency department, um, and it was a normal Sunday evening, and these aren't uh, these aren't uncommon. Yep. Um, so um, you then get a call from the cardiologist who've had a chat with the ambulance en route. Mm -hmm. Um, and generally, it's just a matter of logistics, that conversation. Yep. So um, this 72-year-old uh, gentleman, yep. um, essentially on his ECG, had an inferior infarct. Yep. Um, and when I got a call from the cardiologist, he was very hypertensive. I think it was 60 from memory. Okay. And again, that's not uncommon for this presentation. Yep. So the conversation happened. We often load them with medications. The cath lab had been activated. So it was all a matter of logistics at that time it didn't seem like an uncomplicated patient yep. and sort of fit the the profile of an inferior STEMI. Cool and patients that are in hours sometimes we they don't come through the ED if they've got a STEMI sometimes they can bypass our emergency department and head to the cath lab yeah we're hitting a time that's sort of 
It was later in the evening. Later in the so evening, so no one's the no lab's one's not there. ready to yeah. go yet. Okay. And also the fact that he's so hypertensive yep. um, meant that he was always going to come and at least get a a, a flow through emergency. Yep. Um, because you know we need to address that cool. shock. What does Courtney do first? You've got this call. You've heard this story. Uh, we only, we only get half a story over this phone. Um, you're going to mobilise your team. What are some things you'd think about as a clinician? So I think... Um, what did you think about? What's yeah, so I think I was like, fantastic. This is actually a, you know, a, an unwell patient. <laughs> yeah, that's what you like. And I love this sort of stuff because yeah. this is where we, we thrive. And I think, I think yeah, we were yeah. on and, and so we thought, right, okay, we've got to think of inferior infarct. He's showing, showing signs of shock. Um, there are some management changes in inferior STEMI. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if you want me to... Yeah, go. So um, essentially inferior STEMI is a reasonable... Um, percentage of them, I think it's about 30% will have an, an RV involvement mm-hmm. um, uh, and um, typically they're the ones that are hypertensive. So, um, and he's shocked. So yep. that's what the concern. And so the two things are that you don't give these people GTM mm-hmm. because essentially you can make them arrest. Yep. Um, and they're preload dependent. So mm-hmm. they, um, so they're preload sensitive, I should say. So you, you need to be a bit judicious with fluids. Yep. Um, so they're the things I was thinking of. Okay. So in my mind, I thought, okay, if this is a true posterior um, inferior STEMI, we need to essentially get him to cath lab, yep. um, maybe give him a bit of fluid, but nothing else. Cool. Yeah. All right. So your team's ready. Everyone's got out there like a STEMI box. They've got you know, yeah. all the things they need, which yeah. I think they may give their patient. Um, oh, that's the harder thing as well. At this hospital, we use, we don't use Titagor. Correct. And that's a weight-based thing. So I always, having worked in other hospitals with Titagor, which is a set dose, yep. always get worried that I don't have the patient's weight. Weight, correct. So that's the other thing. I always get the policy out because I find it disorientating that I can't get my medications early, which in this case actually was good. Beneficial, yeah. yeah. And I always find, yeah, I think even hep- our heparin doses change too with the acute bleeding risk. So I'm like, oh, what's the updated yeah. policy? Is it 4,000 or 5,000? Not that. Exactly. So they're the sort of things that um, distract you from a patient like this. Cool. Um, but I think the that would have helped this patient. Yeah. Now he comes in by ambulance into our resuscitation bay, obviously unpowerful blood pressure. Yes. Um, hypotensive um, with a STEMI, so we're concerned with yes. this guy. Um, he heads into the resus bay um, and we get a story from the ambulance. Yes, I think this is really where the direction changed in this. Yep. So this was just a hypertensive STEMI until we got the story from the ambulance. Yep. So the ambulance team say that essentially he got up to, I think, go to the bathroom yep. maybe and then syncopized. Yep. Um, and generally... Um, as emergency physicians, and you've done this for a while, you look at stories and work out whether that matches. And that's very atypical for a pure STEMI. Mm-hmm. Um, and essentially from then had collapsed and had an unpalpable blood pressure. The other piece of the puzzle was that he didn't have chest pain. Mm. Um, and that's, again, atypical mm-hmm. of STEMIs. There's usually, even if it's not pain, it's sort of pressure or heaviness. Um, so at that point, we sort of did a pivot mm. and was like, okay, there's someone clearly um, shocked. Mm. Um, and the focus was, um, the evidence was for an inferior STEMI. But that triggered sort of me at least to say, hang on, this is just not run of the mill. Yeah. We've just got to look a bit further. Yep. Um, and that by that time, the cardiologist and the cardiology AT had come in and they were um, hadn't heard that story. So they were still very focused on STEMI. STEMI. Yep. Um, so then it was really interesting to actually be like, no, stop. 
Yep. Like with the the first thing that crossed my mind is sometimes the inferior stemmies are a secondary to a dissection. Okay. Dissection. Elderly gentleman with you know profound hypertension. That was my initial thought. Yep. So although I'm not great at ultrasound, I got my ultrasound out and essentially was doing like a rush exam um, yep. for, for a shocked patient. Yep. The two things in the heart that I was looking for initially, I thought maybe um, you're going through more your syncope list yep. now yep. rather than your STEMI list yes. and trying to marry them together. So I was thinking a massive PE, mm -hmm. um, which his uh, right ventricle definitely didn't look like that, yep. um, or a dissection. Um, and we did notice at the time that he had a, a pericardial effusion or sort of black around his heart. Yep. So then the the shift was then, oh, is this guy got a inferior infarct and he's actually got it because he's dissected out. Mm. Um, and there's all these management priorities then that go towards dissection, that. Dissection, which is very different to something else. Dissection is huge. Yeah, different. well, you, you um, essentially a blood pressure of 60, which what he's had is actually sort of where we want to keep it. Yeah, we're happy to keep it there. We... In my mind then I thought, oh, we, we don't want to go and just, falsely elevate his blood pressure because yep. actually if we think it's a pure a type a dissection essentially what my my mentality is we keep them low and slow yep. so we keep them low blood pressure and we keep them as um bradycardic as we can yes. fermentation and interesting this guy was mentating yeah. like he could you know we revisited the history with him re-clarify that he had no chest pain yep. essentially i said like how do you feel and he's just like i feel like garbage mm, mm. and he looked like garbage and peri arrest yes, so I couldn't could agree with him um, and so then the issue is well we got to this uh, cardiology obviously we're in at the point yes and then uh, we got to the point where he had ultrasound findings of tamponade okay. so we got to the point where we knew that he was critically unwell because of pericardial tamponade um, and then the interesting part about that is uh, we're not in a tertiary center mm. So generally, if we think it's dissection, that um, putting in a drain is relatively contraindicated. Mm -hmm. So you're left with a man that's sort of peri-arrest. Um, do we or do we not put this drain in? Mm. Um, and that's where, as an emergency doctor, you've, you know, you throw out the textbook and you've just got to do what you think is best. Oh, yeah, okay. Let's unpack that for me. That's so huge. I think, you know... Um, Part of training in emergency is to get the facts and the knowledge and the protocols. Yeah. Um, but you often are um, presented with cases with competing interests. Okay. And I think this was the case here where, you know, we're not 100% sure of the diagnosis. If we think it's dissection, we're in a, we're a non-tertiary centre with no cardiothoracics around. Yeah. Um, when I say relative contraindication, that means it's not absolutely yeah. contraindicated, but the issue would be... If you put a drain in for a dissection, it just keep bleeding out. Yeah. And then in my head, I get to the point where I'm like, well, if this is my father mm, and mm. they're about to arrest, what can I sleep with? Yeah. Um, and I think at that point in time, draining the tamponade mm -hmm. um, was what I would want for my father. Yeah. Um, knowing that it may not, you know, resolve things, mm. um, but you have to try. Yeah. Wait, 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 we've got to stop it here. We need to find out a little bit about Courtney first because we heard about, you know, pulling the trigger, throwing the textbook out. Like, who is this person? I think we need to really crack into who Courtney is and understand her a bit more. Remember that when clinicians make decisions, you know, Courtney has read the textbook back and front, mate. This girl is on fire. But we need to understand that clinicians, at some point, 
have to make that decision and they also have to bear the consequences for making those decisions. Let's find a little bit more about court in our earlier conversations. Um, who am I? So I'm an emergency physician. Yeah. Um, oh, cool. So I've got a bit of a mix of yeah. tertiary, non-tertiary, um, which I really enjoy. Um, I used to be a nurse. So I've got a bit of an allied health background. Hey, stop, stop, uh, stop. <laughs> Greatness is in the building. Yeah. Well, no, I'm a, I'm a jack of all trade, expert at none. So mm. I, um, when I finished uni, I wanted to, I sort of thought I wanted to be a doctor. Yep. And then I thought, oh, I want to travel. So I thought, oh, if I do nursing, then at least, you know, you can travel and it's, you know, pretty, you know, you can take it along in your suitcase. Mm -hmm. So I thought I'll do nursing. And then I also decided to make my own degree and do an advanced science degree, which now is combined. But make at the time, yeah, I called to the uni and was like, so I've got a proposal. <laughs> You're telling them what to do. Yeah. And that, I think the UAL was like 62 for nursing and 96 five or something for advanced science. So they were like, whatever, if you get it, you get it, that's fine. So then on the day of getting my mark, I rang up the Dean of the time and she was like, okay, but we're not gonna cater for you, but like if you want to, you can do them together. Wow. So I made my own degree up Mm -hmm. and then decided that a five year degree was too long. So then (laughs) cut it down to four. (laughs) You told them, hey guys, like, I don't wanna be there that long. Yeah, no, so I just did extra subjects. and um, tailored the science part to, so I did, like, I've got a major in immunology and phys- physiology, so very, nice. like, health-related yep. subjects. Um, and then while doing undergrad, worked to, as an AIN in a palliative care hospital. Wow, okay. So sort of got a reasonable amount of clinical face-to-face, even from an early time. Yep. And I think having had that breadth of, being, you know, from AIN to now an emergency physician, mm. it kind of gives you a little bit more understanding of the team involved and, and, and also the patient journey, I think. So mum's a midwife, okay. dad's a doctor, yep. um, and health was always going to be, is what I love. Yep. I always wanted, if I didn't get into medicine, to have something to use. And yep. I think nursing is one of those really powerful things that you can use it. Yeah. I don't know. And I was always pretty determined. And yep. I also did a lot of sport. Yep. And so at the time, I liked the idea of shift work as yes, well. Because yep. I was traveling a lot yeah, with, yeah. with sport and stuff. Um, cool. And why emergency? Why, um, you know, there's so many specialties to go into. And you've done palliative care as a nurse. Yes. Were you ever thinking, I'm going to be a palliative care consultant? Uh, so... It's a bizarre concept, but I care too much. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. And when I was doing palliative care nursing, and um, you can, as a nurse, as a shift worker, yeah. care as much as you want, you've got a, a finished day. Mm. So I, I love palliative care, and I love the idea of palliation, and it's important to me in emergency, yeah. but I made a decision early on in my career that if I became an emergency physician, it would... I'd care too much and it would mm. impede on my work-life balance. So yep. I think emergency is great in that you can care for someone in that shift, but you pass that on. Yeah, 100%. So it's a bit of a safety net for me because mm. of how much I care. Mm. Um, and it means that it's you can care without risk. Yep. Whereas I think if I was in a physician, um, I would be there on weekends and I wouldn't be able to disconnect. And, mm. and so it's, it's a bizarre thing. Um, but I think emergency strikes the balance for people that do care a lot. Mm. Um, it's a very bizarre thing because that's not typically why people would do emergency. Mm. Um, and I also loved it when I was doing my nursing placements. I like, I liked the fact that it's, 
you know, they come through the door, you don't know what's coming in. Mm. Um, you have to make a genuine connection with that patient, um, mm. both for the patient's point of view and to understand their world. And I think mm. in emergency, you get, you know, famous people, you get homeless people, you get marginalized people, and your job is to connect to their world. Mm so that you can get their diagnosis, but also to understand the best management for them. Mm. Um, and I like that challenge. Um, I, li I, I like the fact that you have to solve the problem. Mm. Um, and sometimes that's time critical. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's not very critical at all. Yeah, you can leave um, for a while yeah, and yeah, that way yeah. <laughs> yeah. But also understanding, I, I think the most mundane presentations as well often have a backstory. Yeah. And if you can understand that and meet them where they are at, you can often do a lot of good in that patient mm. when typically, you know, other people would just brush them off. Mm. So it's, it's, yeah, it's quite an interesting specialty. Um, I think it's definitely not one that you do for kudos. And no. I don't think you, I mean, no one remembers the doctor in the emergency department. No. Um, you know, you're on the ward and the, you know, the ward gets chocolates and the doctors get chocolates and, you know, and that's yeah. not, for no fault of the patients. Where's our chocolates, people? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> patients listening out there? No, um, And in this case, we did actually get a chocolate solution. I was going to say, this is actually the case where yes. you got a chocolate and a card. I know. And it was handwritten and I was so excited. It made me have a tear. I know. Yeah. So I think as well, um, I think it's a very pure part of caring. Yeah. Emergency. And, and I, you'd probably say it in the emergency. You do it, you know, it's not fashionable. No. Uh, it's often dirty, you mm. wear scrubs mm. and PJs, but I think <laughs> you it's it's a really unique part of medicine in that you see them at their, their worst mm. um, and you, you carry them through and they often then forget about you mm. because they're in a state of shock. Yep. But that's important to me. Um, and I think as a lot of it's, I did a lot of sport growing up mm. and I'm from a big family, so this whole idea of team effort yep. um, and camaraderie, I think, just suits my personality. Yeah, and you're from a family. I think you have a sister who's a, a in the ballet. Yeah, I've got a very weird family. So I'm one of five children. Yeah. Two sets of twins. So I'm a twin. You're a twin. And my twin sister is a professional ballerina in Europe. Wow. Um, now we're talking. And then my, I've got three brothers, of which two of them are twins. Yep. One's uh, um, in emergency as well. Hey. One's a lawyer and then one's an engineer. So we're all just... You go hard. Well, we're just spattered. We're just like... <laughs> Our, our dinners, like Sunday dinners, are very dynamic. But um, um, I think we're all very active yeah. and stuff like that. So And you, you, I, you're not here to play with spiders. I'm, I'm, I was going to swear then. But what I mean yeah. by is when you walk into the ED, people know you're here. Um, you, from my perspective. Oh, really? Yes. You, you present <laughs> uh, a sense of like, let's go. We're here. It's eight. Let's move. Like you, you, you walk quickly. You talk quickly. I do which, talk which, very quickly. Which I can, I like, the, that's what I do when I teach too. I, I, I feel that energy. Um, so I, you know, it's cool. So I for think, people out there yeah, know. I think, I think, um, probably my parents instilled, like you get to whatever you're doing on time. It's a bit like sports yes, training. Yes. You get there to train. Yep. You're not there to have a coffee beforehand. No, no, no. Um, and you're there to provide a service. Yep. Yeah. Cool. I like it. I don't know about you, but that was phenomenal. You get a bit of an understanding into Courtney's mind, this work ethic, um, in relation to her teamwork, in sporting, she loves working in a team. Also in relation to her professionalism, um, you know, you're there to get it done. But also the caring side to Courtney, um, she does care. She didn't do palliative care because she knew she cares too much. Um, I love that side of her. We're back into the case. Courtney's about to throw the ultrasound probe 
um, on his patient's heart to have a look at it. Let's see what she finds. You, you throw the probe on, you've got a cardiology consultant, a cardiology registrar, AT, in the building. Yes. Okay. You throw it on. You're, you, now, now, this is no knock. Like you, You've done your time. You're an yes. emergency physician. You're a well-trained um, doctor. But do, do you go... Oh shit! Am I sure that actually is that? Like, did, did yeah. So oh, I yeah. It it's there. a funny. So it's a funny dynamic when you've got a very uh, experienced cardiologist there. Yeah. And so there's a bit of um, teamwork play, yes. and it got to the point where they initially were like, "No, this is left main with some posterior," and then the AT was like, "No, no, no, it's tamponade." And mm. so we got to this evolving pattern of this is a complicated potentially MI. But I'm looking at the end game. I'm mm. like, this guy's going to rest now. Yeah. Um, and normally for dissection, we, we didn't get a confirmation flap. So yeah. sometimes with the ultrasound, you can. So it got to the point where it's like, well, something has to be done now. Mm. Um, and there was a conversation between me and the cardiologist. Yeah. And I said, this guy's in obstructive shock. Um, we need to drain this. Um, and and um, there was sort of not a, a momentum from the cardiologist. Yep. And so I think I said you were there. Yep. I said it says something like, I think this guy needs a pericardial drain. Yep. Uh, would you... What was the wording? I forget something like... I thought, was it, would you object if I... If I yeah, would you object? To, yeah, I think it was like, do you support this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, yeah. that's like, I'm happy to do it. Yeah. And then there was this thing of, I said, well, look, I've done one of these 12 months ago. Yeah. Because it's like, who's going to do it now? Yeah, yeah, that's a question. Um, and I think it, you know, becomes, it's a bit like who pulls the trigger. Yeah. Um, so I think there was a consensus. Goosebumps on that. Yeah, I think there was a consensus. Uh, you have to you have to yield people. Mm. And so it was like, this guy needs a drain. Mm. And I think once we got consensus, I was like, great. So I think I said to you, Ben, I was like, I need the cook's kit. Yep. Because in my mind, I was like, I know how to use that. Yep. That's not yep. cognitively un like burdening me. I've done this before. Um, and I think I had the, I guess, the benefit of having done it recently. Yeah. So that wasn't worrying for me. Yep. The worry for me was this patient was going to arrest yeah. in a non-tertiary centre. Um, so I think, and, but having said that, I'm always very respectful of, like, you know, this senior consultant. Yeah. So I didn't want to walk on him. No. So I think I was like, well, look, I've done it in the last 12 months. Did you want to do it? I'll, or I'll crack on. Yeah. Um, and I think I was, I was like, I think I'm going to do it. Yeah. I, I, I didn't say, I think I'm, I said, I'm going to do, do it. it. Um, and then and this is where working with your emergency team, you'd already got the pack. I think I'd walk past it four times and yeah. Keita, Keita found it for me because I'm like, far out. I, I <laughs> but the, the great thing about this case is I literally didn't have to, I, I, I had my size seven gloves. Yeah, I, I got a kid ready, here. Yeah. It was an awesome team effort. Yes, and that's yeah. what I have to take from this, that, that I had to just put the drain in. Yep. All the other stuff had been sorted for the team. Yeah. So I can't take claim for this. And then Keita, who was one of our senior registrars, the other thing was is that I'm about to stick a needle in this guy's heart and he's still awake. Correct. Um, so then I said, right, I'm going to do it. I think by virtue of that, then the cardiologist was like, oh, well, I think I'll ground up just in case anyway. So yeah. I was like, great, we've, we've, got, we've got momentum again. Correct. It was almost like the ball is sitting at the top of a... Or you're sitting on the edge of the cliff and someone's got to jump first. Yes, and I'm a jumper. You're a jumper. I'm a jumper. Yep. I think having worked at Liverpool in a trauma centre, yep. you know... And also I've um, done a lot of TV refereeing. Yeah. 
So ah. yeah, and so I have to make decisions. As where in like on the, like as in uh, netball umpiring. Okay. Yeah, and not anymore. My medicine, medicine career killed that one. Um, but I'm used to getting videotaped yes. and making decisions and then having to wear them. Yeah. And I think in the split second, so obviously sport it's dynamic, and Correct. you need to make that decision yep. now. And you can you have to make the decision with only the information you've got at the time. Mm. And it might be the angle you're looking at, at timing, but you need to commit to something. Yeah, you're a commit. And, you go hard. And you have to commit. And yep. this was exactly the same. That I had limited amount of knowledge yep. um, and not um, the full information. And, and I think as emergency physicians, we are probably a little bit more comfortable than some specialties to just deal with what we've got. Mm, mm, mm. Um, and because he was systolic of 40 by that time, <laughs> we knew that we knew that mm. it was time critical. Yep. Um, so then we cracked on and did it. And just before we get into that, this guy's got access, large bore access. Yes. He's had some heparin. I think we gave him some heparin. Yeah, so we started, so he got heparin off when we, because we was, we got heparin when we still thought this was just an inferior stem. Correct, so we got that earlier. And then, yep. so we, yeah, we stopped there. We got an art line in. Yes. Um, he'd got multiple accesses. There's blood sent off. He'd had blood sent off. Including trops and... Yeah, which I actually, stuff. to be honest, hadn't looked at because yep. I was like, this guy is peri-arrest. Yep. Um... And um, the art line was great because I really like, I mean, his major issue was hemodynamic shock. Yep. He was in shock. His lactate was over six. Yep, his six. blood pressure was 42, I yep. think, from memory. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were going to pop a needle in his heart. We had to sedate him. Yep. So I have... Um, just as sort of a medazin apology kind of vibe to these patients. A medaz apology. Yeah, which is essentially like if, <laughs> if I apologize, uh, you know, I explain what's happening to the patient. I've never heard that. It's Have so you? Good. Oh, no, it's so good. Essentially, for anyone that's peri arrest, medaz helps because it smooths it over and it's also got a bit of amnesia. Yeah. So even if they do experience it, they often don't remember it after. Yeah. And by virtue of being hyperfused anyway, you often don't remember these things anyway. So I said, look, we give one to two milligrams of IV medaz, and that's where my registrar was great. Yes. Essentially, we're just trying to keep him comfortable enough that he's not writhing around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So we gave medaz an apology. We had our art line there, so we knew uh, second to second what was going on. Um, And then I think we just whacked on some cleaning agent, got some sterile gloves, and then we opened up the cook. um, Which we've got got here. here. Yep. So for people that haven't used this, and I've only used it sort of three or three times in real life, yep. um, the way that I cognitively think about it is this is just a CVC kit for the heart. Cool. And I think for registrars and people that do CVCs all the time in emergency, which is not uncommon, once you think about that, actually cognitively offload you. Mm. Um, and there's a couple of ways to do it. So you can do landmark technique, which is what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, what I, landmarks are we looking out for? So essentially you go substernal and you aim towards the left shoulder tip. Okay. Um, it sort of gives you the right direction. Um, and I first did one of mine in South Africa when I did a yeah. Baraguanath um, trauma hospital. Trauma hospital. I know so, the one. Yeah. I dream to work there. Yeah, so I worked at Barra for my hey, like... man. Yeah. That's one of my dreams, Yeah. Um, so that's when I first done it where... Everyone gets a chest strain. Everyone, well, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, because of how busy it is, you can't use ultrasound. And, yes. and, and, and there's definitely more proficient ways of doing it now. Like yeah. there's ultrasound guided and... And this is not a, an example of that. Yeah. Um, but interesting what we did do, I'm not a great ultrasound technician, yes. I guess you'd say. I, you know, I'm accredited fast and a lot of the yep. trauma stuff, but echo's not my forte. And so 
what we did do, and this is where the team effort, um, mm. the cardiac AT was great. She put on a probe. Yep. And so I did a landmark tech meet, technique, got in and actually used agitated saline to confirm placement. Okay. A bit like when you're doing a CVC and you want to make sure yeah. you're in the right vessel. Yep. So that was a nice sort of team effort where we all were involved. Um, um, and so basically you pop it in your know, local because they're nearly arrested anyway. Um, and you've got a, a long needle with a syringe at the back. Um, and essentially, like a CVC, you, you put it in through the landmarks, and then when you get blood backflash, you, you knew that the tamponade was quite big, so you yep. can pop it in a little bit more. Obviously, if you go too far, um, you get into the heart, um, but you've got some signs of that. The electrics of your ECG will go off, um, and at worst, you aspirate blood. Which is interesting, because this is what happened. Blood did come out at this time, but I was happy that I'd you know, not gone into the ventricle. Um, so you get backflush, and uh, again, very much like a CVDC, you just put in the wire, and the wire went in with no effort at all. Um, you dilate, and then you just put a drain in to the hilt. Before we get to that, yeah. you prep the, the skin. Yes. You're holding a freaking big, a reasonable-sized needle in your hand. Yeah. Um, you're looking at your landmarks. You've, you're just like, yep. Like, do you just go mentally, you know, check, check, check. Courtney's going for it. Bang. Yeah. So I, I, it's, I have a weird personality in that I settle with chaos. So I actually am very calm in situations like this. Yes. And I'm not sure whether it's just a personality thing or it's just the years of being in chaos, but I'm not stressed in these scenarios and I'm very goal focused. So part of my management of this patient was that I had someone looking at my registrar was looking at hemodynamics we yep. made a plan for that yep. my nursing team had sorted out we had cardio you know uh, cardio there that was talking to cardiothoracics and yes. doing all the back work so I'd essentially cognitive off- offloaded to just task fix obviously yep. I was sort of thinking about the blood pressure and stuff and thinking he didn't have a tube and things like that yep. but at the time you just need to focus on the job t- job at hand yeah so yeah, I wasn't stressed at all. Yeah. At that point. No. Because I was like, great, we're doing something. Yeah, and I, and I think that was very interesting because there was a fair few people standing there. Not fair few. Which I didn't actually notice at the time because I yeah. was so excited. Some people standing there, and you know, someone's got to make a decision. Yes. Someone's got to make the move. Yes. Um, and as an emergency physician, you made that move. Um, in cons- consultation with the team, people knew we knew what was going on. Yes. This guy's going to die. Like he had a blood pressure of forty. Forty, I think forty-two. I think from memory yeah. for a while. So. Yeah. In my time, more than two, more than another minute mucking around, the dude's going to rest on us. Well, that's what I was worried about. Yeah, yeah. he was pale as. I mean, he had signs. I mean, he was shocked. He yeah. was hypertensive. He had a lactate that was high. Um, so he's peri arrest. Yes, pH of seven point one. But complicating, he was awake. He was awake. <laughs> yeah. So that's why we um, have to use them down. Okay, so you go in, you um, agitate with saline, you aspirate out blood. Yes, which then confirms, well, reinforces the idea that we think it's a dissection. Because um, the previous dissect, uh, sorry, the previous um, pericardius um, centis I've done um, was a transudate, so it was an effusion. Fluid. It was like um, straw-coloured fluid. Yes. Um, so there's all different reasons why you can have tamponade. Yep. Um, but this, in this case, it was blood. Um, so it again anchored the idea that he may have a dissection, which it didn't actually happen. No. He didn't actually happen to have that, but it then reinforced the idea, and we then committed to going down the pathway of getting him stable. Yes. Um, but looking at that, okay. which we can go through in a minute. Yep. But the amazing thing was, and I, I'm not sure if you got the same 
feedback. But as soon as we put the drain in and aspirate, his blood pressure went from 42 to like 89. Obviously. And we were like, it was like so, um, it was such a, like an immediate positive. Yes, like, it was. But, and it was just like a calm. It was like, okay, this guy's safe. Went from ODR to, okay, we've got something to play with. So, um, just quickly, um, tamponade, what, what are some things you've seen as a clinician that can cause um, cardiac tamponade? So I've done a couple, how, well, how do you actually. explain it so, to you? Well, yeah. so cardiac tamponade is essentially, uh, the heart sits in a, in a fibrous sac, yep. um, and there's not a lot of give within that sac. So if any fluid type gets there, mm-hmm. um, you get a pericardial effusion, yep. um, which we can see. But if that actually builds up to the point that the external pressure is higher than the internal pressure of the heart, it essentially squashes the heart. Mm. Um, and the heart being the major driver of blood flow, you then get obstructive shock. So the blood can't come in and the blood can't be pumped out. Mm. Um, and there's all different reasons. So this one, uh, well, this one was vascular. So mm. there was blood around the heart um, and squashing the heart. Um, the previous case I'd had, um, a guy had acute hypothyroidism. So you get sort of a, um, an effusion um, because of that. Um, you can get traumatic pericardial yep. tamponade so if you get stabbed in the heart it's yep. the classic one and some of the rheumatological diseases like sle and rheumatoid yep. arthritis so you can get like an immune effusion yep. okay, so yep. effusion is different to tamponade, tamponade yep. so effusion tam- is there's fluid around the heart mm-hmm. um, and tamponade is there's obstructive shock okay. so there's a bit of a spectrum there yep. long the short of it from that point you've made the decision you've got a consultant staring over your back while you're stabbing uh you know, this gentleman into the heart. That's yes. It. Let's just put yep, it. Yeah. You are stabbing a dude in the heart. Yeah. Let's face it. Around the heart. Around the heart. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> if it gets in, if it gets into well, well, that's what you got to worry about. Why would him? So that's the problem. When blood comes out, you're like, oh, well, in that in this case, I wasn't unexpected because we think it's dissection. But one of the risk factors is if you go too far. And you go into the ventricle, then you suck out blood because you're in the ventricle. And you just suck in the, Yeah, okay. So in this, you know, so that's actually something that you've got to cognitively think about when you get blood out of your... Did you go... The last one you got was fluid. Yes. You, you get this one out, you're getting blood. Now, just before the blood pressure goes off that it's instantaneous, did you go, like, oh, crap. Like, did, oh, you did think you about have, it. Did oh. you have the, the, un, you know, the thought of, like, gee, am I in the right spot? Yes, yes, because that's... If you're going to do a procedure, you need to know the complications. Yeah. Um, and one of them is, um, and I think the only thing that cognitively saved me is having done the procedure myself, knowing that you know I hadn't gone far in, mm-hmm. um, and you know was aspirating straight away, and also to know that this may fit the patient's pathology. Yeah. Um, but if it was someone something else, and you thought that it was more likely to be a straw-coloured fluid, and mm-hmm. you got blood, you'd think, oh gosh. And that's why we agitated the saline. Yep. So, um, that's... To confirm it. And see it on ultrasound. Yeah, you can see it on ultrasound. So you're seeing all the bubbles around the heart, not in the heart. Cool. Whereas if you saw the agitated bubbles in in the ventricle, then you'd think that the needle was in the ventricle. Okay. So it's a, it was enough confirmation with the team to be able to work out we were okay. Yeah. Uh, and this guy, obviously we drained some fluid out. Um, and then what, what happened after that? So because it was blood, yep. we went ongoingly around this idea that he was ha- having a dissection. Yep. So during this, the cardiac AT had called cardiothoracics and just essentially given them a heads up that we think he's got a type A dissection. I'm going to take him to the scanner now that he's safe. Mm. So the next thing I had to think of is I've got to tube this gentleman 
um, to be able to safely get him into the scanner. Mm -hmm. um, and in the back of my head thinking, look, this guy's probably going to be whipped over um, the tertiary centre anyway. Yep. So it's about then carefully intubating him. You've just done all this effort to try not make him arrest. You don't want to arrest him on induction yep. for anaesthesia. Do you go low with your induction agents? Oh, for him, we did 40 of ketamine. Yep. Yeah, so we'd already medazed him. I think we got up to four of IV mm -hmm. just yep. uh, because of the, the drain. Um, and again, this is this whole small amount, like medazin and apology. Yep. So the, the last thing you want to do now, well, also the other thing as well is, so with him having a potential dissection, you mm. want to keep him low. Yes. So you don't want to give him buckets of ketamine Get him up to 120 and then pop off any, you know, scab that's been formed or, yep. or dissect him further any arrests. Yeah, okay. So he was needing to have small induction for multiple reasons. The fact that he was, you know, second minutes ago peri-arrest and mm. also he had a pathology that we need to keep him low. Yeah. So we gave him 40 of ketamine and the actual, yeah, and, and large dose rocks. So yep. we, we tend to overdose our rock yep. in shocked patients. Okay. Um, so the tube actually went in fine. Yeah. Um, my, my registrar did that. Um, we then put him on some fentanyl and medaz again, um, cardio stable, um, sedation to get him through to the scanner. Okay. Um, just quickly, like you got a guy who's initially hypotensive. Yes. We're not sure if he had tampon, like it's a, a start vasopressors. So using inotropes. Uh, in a patient that's really, really hypertensive. What was your thought process around inotropy? No. So he had a pathology that had reversibility. Yeah. Whether it was the cath lab mm -hmm. or whether in this case it was leaving obstructive shock. So mm -hmm. um, you shouldn't just start inotropes cool. just because. Yep. Um, and I think it's um, often junior doctors will be like, well, just do some metaraminol. Mm. So, but, but, but why? Right. I mean, sometimes you do need to. Yes. Um, but... My job as the emergency physician mm -hmm. is to work out whether inotropes are indicated. Yeah, um, and you can do harm with inotropes. Yes. In this case, if it was a dissection and you you know given him NORAD, yeah. number one, if it's an ischemic process, it's kind of flogging a dead horse. Yeah. So you, you you're increasing <laughs> the oxygen needs of the heart, and yeah. they need to go to cath lab. Yeah. Uh, if it's a dissection, you're unreasonably increasing Pushing his blood flow. pressure. Yeah. And I think I was partially reassured by his <clears throat> cognition. Yeah. Then he was still awake. That was the confusing. Yeah. Oh, it was. Gun. No, it was good because then I knew that at 60 and his age, because you worry about it yeah. at his age, that he probably runs high. Yeah. That there was some, you know, he was making sense. He was able to talk to me. So you know that, you know, if you can keep him low in the 70s, yes. that would be okay. We hung out in permissive hypotension. Exactly. That we, we were okay in that level, whereas usually, you know, in an, a 72-year-old, that would be very dicey. We, we make a decision, we tube the gentleman. Yes. You're still in your head, it's like a dissection, so you decide to head around to scanner. CT, yep. But you're still, he's still not the best, you know, he's still got some... Yeah, so I think his blood pressure was about 80 there, yep. unsupported, so I was happy with that. Yep. Um, and the fentanyl we'd gone up to help with his tachycardia. Yep. Um, so I think, in my head again... The backup team had been advised. Yep. Um, you know, I did have lots of hands, which I think was it. Um, and so we could sort of s calm down once we'd... Yep. We, we were like, right, we're going to go to CT. And all of us were just there watching the aortogram and nothing. And I was just like, ugh! So we didn't, again, fit the picture. Yes. So we didn't have a dissection. Mm. 
So that's fine. We brought him back to recess, and then what um, the cardiac AT had done is sent off some of the fluid, yep. and so had confirmed that it was blood, frank blood, because yep. sometimes you get a bit of like hemo, like hemo serious sort of fluid, sort of fluid, yep. and then you think, oh, um, and so we sort of put our heads together, um, and we um, we talked to the family, and and they said, oh, two days ago he was at the golf course, and he just he didn't feel right, and mm. he so we thought, okay, well maybe he's um, had an ischemic event two days ago and then he's had a minor myocardial rupture mm. as a sort of delayed complication and that's why he's got that. Which may explain why he doesn't have a dissection and, and we were sort of trying to piece it together. And at that point I think it was like midnight mm. um, and so I guess the, the question was disposition. So mm. um, then I got cardiology who had already talked to cardiothoracics to essentially be like, you know, what do we do? At that point, mm. I was sort of like, I just need to, we just need to, this is all we can provide this patient in the emergency department. Um, I mean, at that point, we'd excluded dissection, so we're going up a little bit on his blood pressure and sort of making him his endpoints normalised. Yep. Um, and then the question was, does he stay here or there? And, I, and I'm glad that the cardiology had been involved because I think at that point... There was some pushback. You sort of get cognitive fatigue, and I'm yes. like, I'm not finding it. So I was lucky in that they did that. Um, um, so we decided that he would go to the tertiary center, being yep. undifferentiated, and yep. um, then we called retrieval. Um, and one of um, one of my colleagues, who I know very hey. well, came, and I was like, Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so getting him off is great. Yeah. Um, and then I think. He had a pending COVID swab, so that was the only delay. Oh, at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do all this work for someone, like, what's that kind of I know, I know. So, um, Freaking hell. Yeah, and then he did. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, get him out. Yeah, because the, the problem is, is being the only one in the queue there, you've got a whole department to this work. The, and yeah. this is the thing that I mm. get anxious about. So my registrar sort of a couple of times said, look, you need to man the department. Um, man, woman, person, yeah. department. Run, N- need to run the department, sort, of. <laughs> sort the department. Sick people. Because you don't want, you know, someone arresting in, you no, know, which can, eight. Which, when we get a sick patient in, they come in waves. Like, we get yeah. a few. Yeah, and so that's the thing as well. My job is to commit to everyone in the department. And wow. obviously, he needed my attention. But you get this sort of lingering, especially if you've worked at big hospitals, sort of thing of, I need to check. I need to check what else yeah. is happening. Yeah. So I think by then, I was just like, look, I've, like I've committed everything to this patient, which, you know, he yeah. rightfully deserved, but you've got the whole department. Yeah. So then you kind of step out, you've done it, he's he's gone off with the retrieval, um, you've updated the family, um, you know, there's no rest. Mm, no. In fact, you sort of get anxious again, even more anxious that what, what else is happening, what's lingering. Well. Yeah, so you've got to just keep going, which I think is, is probably harder. How do you process that as a clinician when you do a, a huge case like that? Now, I mean, you've done big traumas at bigger ho- yeah, yeah, hospitals. Yeah. But sometimes at small hospitals, you almost have to make that immediate decision that I'm doing this. Do, do you, like, reflect on it when you walk to your car? Or is Courtney, like, you're a go, go, go? Like Well, the, I think the, the issue is is that you didn't have time to absorb it because yeah. you had a whole department to sort out. Yep. So there was no unpacking or anything. No. And then I, when on the drive home, I was like, you, you do. Um, but then I kind of, I think by virtue of, being at busy hospitals, I was like, okay, that's done. Like, you packed away. Done. Oh, well, to me, it was like, oh, I was, just, it was a bit confused that I couldn't quite work out exactly, you know, to tie it up. Um, but 
in emergency we often do that. We That's have okay. to go home with missing pieces. Yes. That's okay. And then I forgot about the case. Um, and then it was only when I came back, everyone was like, oh, what happened? What happened? I was like, what do you mean? Like, you kind of minimise things, I think, to be able to cope with. So I was just like, why are you talking about this patient? What? Yeah. Like, this, that's been packed away. Like, that was last week. Yeah, what's happening um, this week? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a cognitive thing. You just do it. Yeah. Because I wasn't stressed No. at the time. It didn't seem like a big deal to me. And, yeah. You know, it's just what you're trained to do. Yeah. Um, so interesting, I think the aftermath was more explaining to people that may have been in the room that didn't understand what was going on yeah. or it was mainly just unpacking it for other people because I was like, oh. We put a drain, we sort of. Yeah, we put a, yeah, yeah. I think because I, when you train, you mentally, um, like it's not a complicated thing. No. And so when my way of doing emergency medicine is to keep it as simple as possible. Yeah, yep. So this guy at the time had a simple thing that I needed to fix and I fixed it. So it wasn't angst producing for me. No. Um, and therefore it had been packaged and left there on that Sunday night. Yeah. So it's interesting. It was kind of quite um, embarrassing because kept, everyone kept talking about it. Mm. And I was like, no, 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 like we've patched this up. It's done. And so you realise that you've actually got to talk about it mainly not for yourself, but for the people, because obviously there were lots of people around and there was a lot involved and stuff. So then you end up doing talking about it more than you hope. Yeah. I don't like talking about my cases because you kind of feel well, like everyone's like, wow. And you're like, no, no, no. It's just, that's what had to be done at the day and you did it. So I kind of get quite confronted by it because you, you, it's packaged done mm. because you see that as your job is, is that why like do you like if i was to get in the um, process because i just don't like the fanfare you know there is a lot, like there is a lot of that in emergency let's get like there, yeah. there are some people out there that are like you know i'm the resuscitative queen or i'm no. the resuscitative god you know I, I actually i go away from that yeah you, you go oh my priority is if i can go home yeah. and have done for that patient what i need yeah that's that's what i want yeah i i, I think the best the best feedback for me is a patient or a family saying thank you. Like, thank you, yeah, you've, which we, you've, you know, you've explained it to me or thank mm. you, you've palliated my family beautifully or yep. like, thank you. That's, that's, and I got that at the time. Yes. So I didn't need any more. No, no. I think I'd text you that night. Yeah, yeah. Late, late, late. And it's like, I'm, you know, so sort of like sorting out the kids and I was like, oh, is it, is it, you know, is there an anatomy lesson with the kids today? You know, like, cause you're back on. Yeah, you're, I'm just, I mean, I'm a, I'm a mum. So, yeah. and, I, and it's during COVID, so I'm homeschooling the next yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, so It's like, like. There's, and also, um, I mean, everyone works in different, but I, like, I don't go home and talk to my husband about what happened no. during the day. It's just like your package and, you know, it's homeschooling. So that was much more distressing for me than. I was going to say. I'm <laughs> stressing out over how to teach mass meanwhile. <laughs> You know, 24 hours before she's put a needle in a dude's, you know. Yeah, but I think I think that's just, I think <laughs> I am very big on being a doctor when I'm at work, but not being a doctor when I'm not at work. And so I'd finish that. I'd, the drive home for me is very important. That was about a 45 minute drive. And, and to me, that's my package debrief time. Yep, yep, so yep, yep. I, you know, don't generally talk to people. I'll just put the radio on and I, and I, unpackage a good shift a bad shift whatever um and that's what i did so i did my normal sort of cognitive unpacking mm. and it was done so it's interesting yeah because sort of that was more stressful for me the kind of lingering chat about it yeah where it's like why are we talking about yeah this? and i yeah. just I, I don't like being the, the 
I probably talked about too much and told people how good you were. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people were messaging me the next day and I was just like, oh, this is so embarrassing. (laughs) You know, like... But, uh, yeah. It's not an embarrassing, you know what I mean? It's I not know, an embarrassing know, thing, but you're just like... You're very modest. I think that's, impo- that's important to know. You are modest, and I think... Well, I just, it's not modesty. It's just I don't like the attention. I don't, yeah. you know, you don't... It was... It Also, I think, it, for me, it's very important that it was very much a team thing. So, mm. for example, the fact that you'd gotten my gloves and the kit meant that I didn't have to think about that. Mm-mm. So that made me able to do it. So, mm. you, you know, you need just as much kudos as I do. And, you know, my registrar that was able to sedate, like, yep. you know, you know, to the cut, like, it's it's never me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and everyone was talking about me. And it's mm. like, no, 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 this is a team thing. Yeah. So I found that more distressing than anything else. And I think people that know you know that it was about their team. Does that make sense? People yes. that were in the room, in the case, together, collectively knew that it was about the team to, to save and support a patient. Yes, hopefully, yeah. And I think we knew that, and I think that was great. Um, so I think that was definitely clear. Um, and it's just good to hear different people in the way they unpack it in their brain as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, what would be your learning points for people that are emergency physicians, clinicians... Yes. ..that have to get to a point where they've got to make a decision like this? I think... I always go back to obviously you're learning, mm. um, and you you know you don't want to do anything that's uh, you, you don't want to do. So the way that I think is you've got a set of knowledge and skill set, but at the end of the day, if you treat the person on the bed like your family or parent, you do what you would want for your family, and then no matter what the outcome is, you can live by that. Mm. So let's say I put the drain in. This guy had arrested. Um, yeah, we couldn't get him back despite everything. I'd be okay with that. Yes. But I would never be able to live with myself if he'd arrested and nothing had been done. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that you need to, well, I personally emotionally do, if, if it's unclear what to do, um, despite all your knowledge and despite everything you know, if you can live with it, then it's probably going to be the right decision, yeah. irrespective of the outcome. And that's and what you have to lean on and lean on to the point where you 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 living with it it sounds like a dramatic thing but you often have patients that have awful outcomes um and that's not that's irrespective of what you do but you need to get to a point where you've done everything you think you can do to change that outcome and i think it's important to to be able to do that for longevity and you know, just from self-esteem and to be able to get up the next day and do it again. Mm. That's a good point. That's my theory. Because mm. you've got to, you, you have to come back the next day. Like, you don't just get a rest. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, you did it. We heard you did it, you know, sent, you know, some decent yesterday. Don't come in, you know, have the day yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. No, but also, like, I mean, I think I've worked at, um, I mean, I was lucky in that that was the only stressful, you know, thing on those three hours. I mean, yeah. I've worked in a shift where, you know, like the last case where I did the hypothyroid one, and I think during that, once we'd got that in, the next patient had arrested. Yeah. So you, I've worked in a great hospital and still do where you don't have the luxury to think about it. Yeah. And that's probably a protective thing as well. Yes. Because if you emotionalize everything, emergency medicine, you can't work on emotions and sometimes you've just got to do what you've got to do in front of you yeah 
and they generally come in waves. So you get one and then you get another one, then you get another one. Exactly. And, you, and, you know, patient number two, like, it doesn't matter what happened to patient number no. one, you've got to focus 100% on patient number two yeah. and give them every bit of energy you've got. Yeah. Um, and that's the beauty of emergency and that's why I love it. Mm. And, um, yeah, but, you know, that next patient could be your mum or dad yeah. or your grandfather and you've got to commit the same amount of care and you know, effort to that one too. Awesome. Um, for resources out there for clinicians that want to know about cardiac tamponade or, yep. you know, we know it's a reversible cause for cardiac arrest, we think about. Yes. But what are some resources you'd give to people and say, hey, look up this, this is really good or this is great? Um, I, think, I think Life in the Fast Lane for me is yep. good. Yep. Um, it's sort of Australian. Yep. It's um, very succinct. Yep. Um, I, you know, read it a lot through exams. Um, I think it's often user-friendly for the emergency physician uh, and just um, also YouTube videos yeah, of it yeah. actually being done. There's a lot on there. So yeah. any procedure that you're not comfortable with, especially if you're a visual learner like I am, yeah. reading about it is esoteric. Mm. But if you've watched a video, um, I tend to find that you can then replicate that. Yeah, cool. We might try and do a video later in the year yeah. so we can show people what to do. Yes. Um, yep. Which would be really cool. Yeah, and there's also... Um, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do um, relieve a tamponade yep. um, and you need to find a way that suits you. So if you're really great at ultrasound, that may be different to what I've done. Mm. And I think any clinician needs to mentally prepare for this scenario so that you've already thought it through. So mm. I knew that I would do landmark technique. I knew that I would use a cook kit and had a backup plan in my head if that wasn't available so i'd already thought through it so it wasn't as stressful mm. um, so i think any procedure that is time critical in emergency you need to have had a run through yeah and this sounds a little bit corny i like you hear on this but like we talked about standing on top of the edge you know let's say we're base jumping and you jump off first yeah and i also think it was great because you held a lot of people's hands in that room to jump with you and so as you jump the team's with you. And I think yes. that's the analogy I sort of have with this case. It was, yes, you jump first and, and uh, this is what you do. You always look at your team because you're like, hey, guys, we're doing it together. Yeah. And I think that was beautiful in that in that scenario. Um, I, in my head, when I snapshot that room, because I'm a bit of a visual learner, um, I still have this picture of a cardiologist standing with you, gowned up with his clean gloves, uh, you in there with a needle in this dude's chest, uh, the other, you know, ED um, register at the back of the room and then just seeing the needle get blood out in the yes. syringe. I can just see a visual picture of that. And then just the instant second snapshot is that blood pressure go. Whoosh, yes. And I'm like, whoa. Yes. It's like the magic happened. The magic happened. And it wasn't me. It was the patient. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, mm. it's, it's done what it's needed to do. Yeah. I mean, we can go through the different ways of draining it. Yeah. Yeah. So there's... So the, the way I did it was a, essentially a landmark technique yep. where you pop it under the sternum, the, the large needle, and aim it towards the left shoulder. Mm -hmm. um, and there are risks with that. Like yep. you can puncture a liver, um, you can puncture a lung, um, you can puncture a ventricle. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the alternative is actually going through the, the rib spaces okay. um, and directly sort of where the heart would be. And that's um, another way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can sort of do ultrasound guided, which we sort of did a sort of 50-50. Yep. Um, and I think the message is, is if it's large enough as it was and it's causing tamponade, it makes the procedure easy because you've got a bigger puddle to aim for. Mm. I think that's something to remember that if, you know, it's, it's going to be 
the, the worse it is, technically it's probably going to be easier. Easier to hit. Um, and, you know, normal th- pneumothorax can be fixed. Yeah, um, that's a good point. So you also, I think, if you remember what your, your complications are and yep. you, you've got to back up to fix them, if someone's, a, you know, peri-arrest on you, you you've, you've just got to Go give it a crack, yeah. yeah. You know, like, you know, the, the... And still to this day, so this guy, as a follow-up, he had essentially, he was stable. Um, I think we got 200 mils of blood out of yep. him. yep throughout when we were here um he had an angiogram uh, the next morning because yes. he was too unstable that night that showed triple vessel so disease so we actually went home and then had a, a um, cabbage, cabbage yeah. um he's had it now i don't know when it was so i don't know if we truly know exactly why he had that tamponade that day mm. um and that's what you live with the emergency we often don't know Mm. Um, and I think sometimes um, emergency physicians and emergency cohort we we learn to cope with that yeah Um, so yeah it was an interesting case and I think of a little slogan Ladbrokes back yourself um, when I think of you because it's like (laughs) betting agency (laughs) just like I've I've done my odds I know this is what I meant to do I've made my decision let's go bang and I and we all went with that and I just love that I love the confidence it's not cockiness, it's confidence, and it's confidence in your skill and training as a physician and, um, and your team that we can, you know, this is what we should do. Yes. And we're ready to go. And um, I just admire that, and I wanted to say it's, um, it was a pleasure being in the room with you. And that's a wrap for another episode on the ED Jam podcast. I want to say thanks to Courtney for coming on the episode. That was epic. Um, really getting to understand a case in such great depth. Um, I'm going to put up a video soon um, about um, how to do the procedure um, with Courtney, which will be cool. Um, for any resources, look at the show notes. Once again, you can follow me on Instagram, edjam underscore podcast, um, where you can look at all the content I'm putting up. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave a review um, and share it with your friends, paramedics, nurses, doctors, and students. Um, you know, I can't do it without your support. So thank you so much, guys. Have an awesome week uh, and enjoy your time. And coming up soon, I've got some awesome episodes. I'm chatting um, about pediatric ECGs. I'm chatting about a shark attack. I've got heaps of cool stuff coming up. Um, you guys are going to love it. Enjoy your day. See you. Bye. You. Any advice on the ED jam should not be taken over your local medical practitioner.